Are you a Christian who finds yourself struggling with the same sin over and over again? Do you feel like your life doesn't seem to reflect the resurrection you know to be true? Have you tried dozens of books and techniques only to find yourself discouraged and ready to give up? Well, we've got good news for you. Questions like these inspired our journey into the rich biblical truths we call New Heart Theology. And we believe if you join us in this journey, we'll learn together, we'll wrestle together, and we'll strive together unto godliness. Welcome to the New Heart Theology Podcast, where we believe when God gives you a new heart, he perfects your soul and it sins no longer. On this show, we talk about this glorious truth and how it affects our lives and our battle with sin. I'm Kevin Lehman, and I'm a pastor and a biblical counselor in Wilmington, North Carolina. My co-host, Grant Forrester, is still out this week, so once again, I'll be dropping a monologue today. But just as last time, I'll keep it shorter in light of it being just me. In the previous episode, we saw how not all sin is idolatry. In fact, idolatry appears several times in Scripture in a list of sins, making it unlikely that it could be the root of all sins. We referenced Dr. Carlton Wynn's article, Is Idolatry the New Sin?, where we saw idolatry has three very specific and distinguishable features that set it apart from other sins into a unique category of its own. If you would like to explore these ideas further, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the previous episode titled, Is All Sin Idolatry? On today's show, I want to continue this idea and explore whether or not the believer can unknowingly, subconsciously, or accidentally worship something other than God. So essentially, I'm looking for an answer to the question, can we discover intangible objects of worship in our lives that we didn't otherwise know existed. I hope you enjoy the show. There seems to be this pervading idea in current Christian culture that you must always be analyzing your heart to make sure pesky idols haven't secretly dethroned Jesus and now rule your soul. This may sound bizarre to you, but I'm not making this up. Brad Bigney, in his very popular book, Gospel Treason, writes, Millions of people, including Christians, live this way without even knowing it. They're trapped, they're deceived, and they're miserable because they have made a functional God of something or someone other than the one true living God, which leads to misery and chaos every time. Listen to this. Part of what makes this battle so tough is that we don't recognize the idolatry we've bought into. We recognize the misery and the chaos, so we ramp up the prayers and usually the complaining. But after a while, when we are still miserable, we start to doubt God's faithfulness and the power of prayer because he's not helping us get what we want. Brad continues, and this is important. He says, And remember, your idol may not be some gross, obvious thing leering at you from the throne of your heart. In fact, for a believer, most often it's not. Usually it's something we don't recognize in ourselves. We think we're doing the right thing for the right reasons, 
and we often have biblical references to back it up. Okay. We don't think this is true at all. This idea that we can be worshiping something without even knowing it. And I want to openly challenge this idea in this episode. Research for this show immediately got off to a tough start for me, though, uh, because I, I had a really hard time finding an evangelical definition for worship that didn't have God as the focus. In other words, I couldn't find anyone who could just tell me what worship is. Generally speaking, everyone had God as the focus for worship, which I find telling, but I'll get to that in a moment. Let me show you what I mean. Jerry Bridges, in The Practice of Godliness, writes, Worship is the specific act of ascribing to God the glory, majesty, honor, and worthiness which are his. Oswald Chambers says, Worship is giving God the best that he has given you. In A Place of Quiet Rest, Nancy DeMoss says, Worship is a believer's response to God's revelation of himself. It is expressing wonder, all and gratitude for the worthiness, the greatness, and the goodness of our Lord. It is the appropriate response to God's person, his provision, his power, his promise, and his plan. John MacArthur, everyone loves John MacArthur. John MacArthur says, Worship is our innermost being responding with praise for all that God is, through our attitudes, actions, thoughts, and words, based on the truth of God as he has revealed himself. Ooh, and John Piper, he writes, Worship is an inward feeling and outward action that reflects the worth of God. And let's not forget Donald Whitney. He writes in Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, Worship often includes words and actions, but it goes beyond them to the focus of the mind and heart. Worship is the God-centered focus and response of the inner man. It is preoccupied with God. So no matter what you are saying or singing or doing at any moment, you are worshiping God only when you are focused on him and thinking of him. Okay, I think that's enough to make my point. All of these definitions are directed toward God. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's almost like worship can't happen unless it involves God. But we know this isn't true because there are dozens, if not hundreds of examples in scripture of people worshiping false or fallen gods through material idols. So let's talk about that for a second. Let's mull that around for a few. I want to briefly revisit Dr. Wynn's third feature of true idolatry from the previous episode. He says, idols were the objects of worship. They received sacrifices and blessed supplicants according to their perceived strength. The act of worship, which lay at the heart of biblical examples of idolatry, mocked the supremacy and worthiness of God. End quote. True idol worship still involved God because it openly mocked his supremacy and worthiness. Take note of its active nature. Idol worship wasn't something people just woke up one day and realized they'd been doing for days and months or years. So it appears, at least so far, that worship is something we actively choose to do. 
It appears that worship is always directed either at the one true God or at false or fallen gods that wish to usurp him. And it appears that the participants in worship know full well what they're doing. Now, let's see what scripture says about worship. First, I went through over 100 Old Testament references to worship, and I couldn't find a single one where worship was described as something that is done passively. Typically, a pre-action would even initiate the action of worship, like sitting down or going to the temple or bowing the head or offering sacrifice or service. First Chronicles 16.29 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The psalmist writes in chapter 95, verse 6, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. It would appear that the Old Testament view of worship is something that we go and actively do, and it's often preceded by preparatory and intentional action. Another interesting tidbit is that rarely do you actually see the worship of idols. False worship is almost always directed at gods or heavenly hosts, not idols. That's because, as we have said before, idolatry has never been about the idols themselves, but about the demonic fallen gods that stand behind them. The idols themselves have no actual power. Deuteronomy 8.19 says, And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. 2 Kings 21.3 says, For he rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah his father had destroyed, and he erected altars for Baal and made an Asherah, as Ahab king of Israel had done, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. And then later in verse 21, says, he walked in all the way in which his father walked and served the idols that his father served and worshiped them. And so you see that connection in verse 21 of the idols to the hosts of heaven in verse three. And finally, in Psalm 97, seven, you see the similar connection made. It says, all worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him all you gods. So in this passage, you see the worthlessness of the idols and the gods that are behind them. These are real, actual gods. They are told to worship the Lord, which is not something an intangible or fake being could do. I also found the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego interesting concerning our topic for today. Let me just read the first seven or eight verses of the story found in Daniel chapter 3. Therefore, at the time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Now, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. 
They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, or bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Now, there's so much we could talk about in this story, and I'm sure most of us already are aware that the three men refuse to worship Nebuchadnezzar's gods and are cast into a burning furnace, and God delivers them from the fire. But for today, know this, Nebuchadnezzar was waiting on them to act in worship. Worshiping his gods meant they must do something. And even with old Neb, it involved a pre-action of falling down in preparation. And the New Testament is really no different of a story, and that shouldn't surprise us. Worship is a static term that's definition does not change with the times. But in preparation for this episode, I scoured the New Testament once again, looking at every instance where proskuneo is translated worship, and even some places where it isn't. Nowhere in the New Testament is worship ever discussed as a passive action. It's always something that you do. Interestingly, Satan came to Jesus and demanded his worship in Matthew 4. Satan offered him the world if Jesus would only bow down and worship him. If worship was something that could take place in our subconscious, why wouldn't Satan have slithered into Jesus' mind and taken a more crafty approach? Wouldn't he have stood a better chance trying to catch Jesus off guard or perhaps have him drift into worshiping him rather than actively doing it? Or maybe Satan could have dressed the worship up like it was something good to trick him. But instead, Satan asked directly for worship of himself. And I think it's at least partially because accidental worship doesn't happen. Satan needed Jesus to do something. He had to commit. He had to bow down. He had to mentally and spiritually and physically engage in giving glory to Satan. But instead, he replied, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Later, Hebrews 12, 28 and 29, the author writes, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Worship is something we offer to someone or something not something taking place in the back of our minds. There's also a mood that should come with worship, which is reverence and awe. And then let's not forget Revelation 9, 20 and 21. John writes, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk. Once again, look at the connection to worshiping demons when it comes to idols. 
Look at how these idols are described. Silver, bronze, stone, wood. There's nothing intangible about that. They are representations of the demons that will receive active and purposeful worship from those who reject the one true God. So here's my issue. We hear all this talk about intangible idols that sneak up staircases to our heart, or we're encouraged to check our hearts to see if any idols have been hiding out in there. And yet, nowhere in Scripture does it say worship can be passive. It's no more possible to worship something without realizing it than it is for a woman to give birth to a child. Worship is something we actively do on purpose and always realize we're doing it or that we're not doing it. Did you hear that? If we don't know we're worshiping, we by definition cannot be worshiping since it is mentally and spiritually ascribing worth and glory to someone or something. Worship requires engagement with both your mind and your spirit. Listen to the focus John MacArthur says worship requires. He says, quote, without such a vision of God's holiness, true worship is not possible. Worship is not giddy. It does not rush into God's presence unprepared and insensitive to his majesty. It is not shallow, superficial, or flippant. Worship is life lived in the presence of an infinitely righteous and omnipresent God by one utterly aware of his holiness and consequently overwhelmed with his own unholiness. If you have never worshipped God with a broken and contrite spirit, you've never fully worshipped God, because that is the only appropriate response to entering the presence of holy God, end quote. If worship is something you can do by accident, then you are not in control of your worship. If your worship is just kind of this fishing bobber in the water, drifting wherever the wind and current take it, you can't really ever be sure you're genuinely worshipping God. This talk about worship being subconscious makes it feel more like we're just kind of along for the ride rather than doing something purposeful. Paul told the Athenians, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. Worship has an object to which it is pointed. True worship demands an amount of focus that we could never mistakenly give to something unintentionally. The encouragement takeaway here, if you are in Christ, is that you are in control of who you worship. You don't have to worry that you might subconsciously be worshiping someone or something other than God. If you were involved in idol worship, you would know it. If you fear you are committing true, biblically described idolatry, ask yourself these questions. Are you seeking out to give glory to a demon or false god? Have you crafted or purchased any statues or images that resemble or represent this demon? Do you carve out time each day to spend exalting your statue or image? Do you make sacrifices or serve in any way this statue, image, or demon? If you have answered no to each of these questions, you're not committing the sin of idolatry. At least not in the way the Bible describes it. And here at NHT, that's the only way with which we're concerned. Okay, so I'm sure some of you are wondering, what does true worship of the true God look like? Well, that's not really in the scope of this episode. I wanted to prove that you can't idly worship something, that worship requires purposeful action. But I guess I can throw in a few little points here. First, 
The worship of Yahweh God will be purposeful, directed toward his goodness and attributes. Second, if you are in Christ, your new heart can only worship God. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says your spirit has been joined to his spirit. They have merged together. Nothing joined with the spirit of God can worship something other than God. 1 Corinthians 6 also says that we are temples of God. And 2 Corinthians 6 asks what agreement the temple of God, talking about believers, has with idols. They can't mix. And third, Jesus tells the woman at the well that a day is coming when believers will worship in spirit and in truth. Now, some feminists and egalitarians are trying to destroy this story by saying the woman at the well was actually a village leader and not an outcasted adulterer. In so doing, they destroy the very element that makes this story so beautiful. Jesus calls a downtrodden lamb, the least likely in the entire village, to himself and reveals to her first some of the deepest theology you'll find in the Gospels. I love this story so much. And by the way, if you want a great written portrayal of it, check out Dr. Harris's book, The Stone and the Glory. I'll, I'll put a link to it in the notes. But the point here is that we worship God with his spirit that is now infused with ours, just like I said before. And what we ascribe to God during worship will be based in the truth of who he is. And this may be helpful too, because some people may be wondering if worship is something we only do actively, what are we doing passively? I want to distinguish between active worship and passively, though sometimes and somewhat actively at times, putting God's greatness on display, imaging him. So I'm distinguishing between active worship and passively imaging God. Imaging God is different than worshiping God. I want to do an entire episode on imaging God at some point, but the concept comes from our created purpose found in Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We will only find true joy and satisfaction when we are living according to our purpose. So in your hour-by-hour living, you should always be seeking to put God's greatness on display, both in your passive demeanor and in the actions you take. But worship, worship is an act that you set aside a special block of time to do. It doesn't have to be done in a church or in a prayer closet, but it is a unique act in which you consciously and purposefully engage. Sometimes it can last for hours and sometimes seconds. Here's how I like to think about it. Imaging God is putting his attributes on display. Where worshiping God is recognizing and ascribing glory to God for those attributes. Both are important functions of the believer, but they should be distinguished. So in summary, we want you to stop believing the lie that if you are in Christ, you can idly worship idols without knowing it. Remember, if this were true, you would not be in control of your worship. And if you're not in control of your worship, you can never really be sure you're worshiping God, even when you're making the attempt. We really want you to be free from the lie that your new heart would even desire to worship demonic idols. If you are in Christ, your new heart sins no longer. Paul says in Romans 7, two times, when I sin, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me, meaning in his flesh. 
As Paul Washer says, we still sin because our new heart is still housed in a corrupted body, but your identity is in the perfected soul. I have said it a hundred times on this show, I would guess. To the believer, your new heart cannot house idols. You are now a temple of God, and the Bible says that the temple of God has no agreement with idols. Idolatry is not your problem. Your heart is not your problem. Your flesh is a big problem. And I would encourage you to go back and listen to our episodes on the corrupted body and our episode on sanctification, disciplining our bodies unto righteousness, I think it's called. I would encourage you to go back and listen to those episodes. But beloved, your heart is not the problem. You are not idly worshiping idols. You don't need to do some kind of spiritual inventory to see which idols have taken over your heart or that have dethroned Jesus, as ridiculous as that sounds. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Live like that. That's the way Jesus would want you to live. He would want you to live in light of what he accomplished for you. All right. I think this is a good place to call it. Next week, Lord willing, Grant will be back with us. And I really hesitate to say it, but I think we're good to go on the anger episode. I I guess we'll see because I've said that I think five or six times now, but that's the hope and the, and the intent. We really do appreciate the support. If you enjoy our content and want to help us get it to more people, a few things you can do to help are leaving an honest five-star review, subscribing to the show, and consider telling a friend about us. We also have a new Instagram page. I guess it's not so new anymore, but we do have an Instagram page, which can be found at New Heart Theology. And actually, if you're listening to this episode uh, on its release date, I will be doing a, a giveaway on the, on the Instagram page this week. So uh, follow to see that when it pops up. If you have any questions, you can always reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter. My handle on both is at Kevin Lehman. Thank you everyone for listening and God bless.